Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And today, we're not going to have the most jam-packed show, but with the information that we do have, it is very good information. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to be talking about our plans for a one-year celebration because it, we're clawing our way towards that one-year anniversary special and uh don't listen to the first episode to prove it it's not worth it it's not real no reason to scroll all that way it's a waste of time yeah there's no reason to scroll through 79 episodes to go listen to the first one it's not worth it no then we're going to talk about a little bit of football recruiting news i thought said basketball i don't know why and then We can talk about K-State's football non-conference schedule and then finally talk about the Batcats and the wacky segment of the week. But let's first begin with our plans for a one-year anniversary. So as the plan stands right now, we're going to do a typical episode which comes out on Friday. And then we're going to do on that Saturday, we're going to do a one-year anniversary live show which will feature both of us, as well as all of the Alley Cats on Spotify Green Room. So if you want, I imagine that I would be the one starting the room. So follow me on Spotify Green Room at acedward00. Both of us will be there. It will just be a grand old time talking K-State sports and just what we've accomplished in one year on the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. And then Sunday, we might have a special episode, which may or may not harken back to the first episode of the show ever. But not awful (laughs) yeah it'll be like it but listenable like (laughs) digestible i suppose is the right term it won't make me cringe to think about it i'll put it that way (laughs) yeah so in other words next next friday we'll have a normal episode which is our weekly recap saturday we'll have a live show time pending i imagine it'll probably be around seven or eight o'clock Obviously, again, time pending, but look around that time. We may put out a Twitter poll to see what time works best for people. And then Sunday, a special episode, which is a return to what got us started. So please be sure to just show up. We always love talking to the Alley Cats. But on the actual K-State news portion of this, we have a brand new football commit from the junior college ranks, specifically Tyler Junior College. And if that sounds familiar, we have two other commits from there within this past recruiting cycle. Excuse me. And this one is linebacker Gavin Forsha. Gavin Forsha is six foot two, 220 pounds, at least according to his 24 seven page. And he actually brings a good degree of alignment versatility. In fact, if you look up his 24 seven highlights, you will be debated into thinking that he is an edge rusher. I'm not saying that's what happened to me until Connor corrected me, but. um, You know, it's fair because (laughs) I was about to stop watching too. And you, you stopped like 10 seconds too fast. Unfortunately, it could have happened to anybody. I would beat yourself up about it. Yeah, really could have happened to anybody. But he's lined up as both an edge rusher and an off-ball linebacker. He's an absolutely amazing blitzer and has one of the best motors that I've ever seen. And that's just the brief scouting report for me. We'll go in more in-depth in a little bit. But what do you think of him, Connor? I really like him. I, too, was a little confused at first because... 
he was very clearly designated as a linebacker on his recruiting profile and everything we read. But then I was like, okay, well, this is literally just an edge rusher. Like his first 10 highlights were just pass rush clips. And he was a line, he was listed at linebacker, but had like 11 and a half sacks. I was like, okay, what's going on here? Hmm. He moved to inside linebacker in the spring. I don't think he'll play that position for us, but I I did like that he had highlights there um, because it he I think he's going to fit into this defense really really well because he's I think he's everything that the staff's been trying to get for a while now and it's been to moderate success and they've but they've really recently done a great job of getting talent specific for their scheme. He's really great in space. He's a high motor athlete and he, he brings good size and length to uh, the position. Uh, he'll be playing uh, some form of off ball linebacker edge rusher, uh, something along that line. And I, I liked what I saw. He, when he did drop back um, especially as an inside linebacker, I really liked his pass coverage instincts uh, to me, it seemed that he, he had a, a knack for knowing where the ball was going before it was thrown. And also, while he's not the best necessarily at form tackle, he doesn't let go of people. And mm-hmm. you know what? If you bring him to the ground, that's, that's fine. What like, I, he'll probably have to fix that because that's not going to always work on Power 5 talent. But I did like his ability to latch on the people and not let go of them in space. So he he's kind of a jack of all trades in that regard while kind of also playing a relatively new position, that edge rusher. And he also had put up a crazy stat line. I mean, he had like 40 tackles, like 25% of his tackles on the season were sacks. Mm-hmm. So, which is really odd, especially yeah. for uh, a guy of his size. He's 6'2", 220. So, you know, he's not like your prototypical. Like he's not like Felix where he's like 270 or something like that. Yeah. So. I, don't know, I I really like Forsha. However, he was not who I was expecting until I had a different image of him in my head before I watched his tape. I'll say that. Yeah. And something that that I noticed with him is, and you mentioned this in his pat his pass coverage instincts, is that especially with linebackers, whenever they're in zone coverage, a lot of them get in the habit of covering grass, not players, which you would think that sounds really contradictory. It's like, oh, they're in zone coverage. Of course, they have to cover their zone. Well, if you're standing there just in the middle of the field doing absolutely nothing, you're contributing nothing. So if you don't have anyone going into your zone, you can drop out, play a little bit more free, and you don't strictly play your zone. And that's something Forsha understands. He understands that if he's just sitting in the middle of the field and no one's around him, he's not contributing. So he's willing to drop back a little further to cover slants. He basically he plays like a user. He plays like a user in NCAA 14. Now he's got that Ross Elder user lurk ready to go <laughs> for, for next year. Oh, so. the Ross Elder user lurk in the, the Texas Bowl. But yeah, and I'm not sure if this if this is public information. Always follow KSO. We're not going to try and gank information from them because they do great work and they deserve the support. But I will say on the recruiting front that we beat out at least three Power 5 programs. One from the Pac-12, one that is going to be in the SEC in the future, and one that is currently in the SEC. Yeah, the USC visit and offer is is public knowledge. Okay. Um, from what I've been able to tell, 
I'm not sure about the other two, although I've seen it be tossed. I think I may have seen it be tossed around, but I'm not going to say who just in case. But yeah. the USC stuff was definitely public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, I'm pretty sure he, he tweeted out. I know he tweeted out the offer because he originally posted the wrong stadium in his uh, <laughs> offer. I remember that. It was the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he was offered by USC Southern California, and he looked up USC Stadium in Google Images South and put Carolina. in U U of SC uh, South Carolina Stadium instead, and it was it was pretty funny. And that, that's what makes me remember that. So I know that USC definitely public knowledge that they offered and recruited him pretty hard, but ended up picking the cats instead. And that's, yeah, this is kind of becoming a pattern recently. It's a legit power five win for Chris Kleiman, Taylor Bratt and company uh, at the linebacker position as well. Linebacker edge rusher. So we'll give this, a, well, this is a co-recruiting win for standard and Steve standard linebackers coach and Buddy Wyatt, defensive ends coach. So you know, I'll give both of them credit for that. Brat as well. Although we also need to give an assist to uh, his Tyler Jr. College uh, teammates, uh, Kobe Savage, and I believe Justice Clemens is the yeah. other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so K-State is really hitting hard on getting those Tyler Jr. College defensive players um, um, into K-State this year. And they put quite a few guys out into D1 as well. General Booty is now at OU. <laughs> such a great name dude it's probably going to be the immediate name champion i I think he's going to step into d1 and win the name title this year dicker's gone yeah cameron dicker is gone i think he's in the nfl now and so that general booty is only just arriving as a juco guy which i will admit was a strange take for ou i i'm i'm a little surprised that they took general booty yeah like i I'm not sure what the strategy is for them there. Maybe they just really don't like Dylan Gabriel. Which, I, can you? That's a which, different time for. That's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, Dylan Gabriel's a little overrated. Like, isn't he like 20? He's like Skyler's age, isn't he? He's getting up there, and he's not bad at all. Like, he's, no, he's a not. he's he's a power five worthy starting QB. But you know, he's he's not. Caleb Williams, he's not Spencer Rattler. He, funnily enough, he's probably about Skyler Thompson level. If I had to compare him to previous OUQB off the top of my head with no film comparison at all, and I'll probably get flamed for this. I think of Trevor Knight. So, yeah, which, which, which isn't like a bad quarterback at all. Like Trevor Knight was a solid QB, but you know, was he great? No, no, no he wasn't. Like, which we're getting way off we're topic. Off topic. That. Welcome but, to the Aggie Valley Cats. We don't yeah. pick a topic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm a Forsha fan as a legit power five recruiting win. The staff's done a really nice job at uh, finishing strong recently, which I think they're finally getting their footing with power five recruiting compared to FCS recruiting. And they're starting to win the battles of that in the past when they first got here, they weren't even in. And the last couple of years they've been in and just kind of fumbled at the goal line. And they're really finally starting to find their footing here and get guys to commit and to commit quicker. However, you know, there's more battles to be had throughout the summer. Not going to get into those today. They're not as relevant, but we'll see. Yeah. So welcome to the family, Gavin Forsha. Sticking on K-State football, K-State football recently released their non-conference schedule. And by that, I mean the TV schedules and what time the kickoffs are. 
So just going over this pretty quickly, we'll give our brief thoughts on all of them. Nice voice crack, me. So <laughs> South Dakota kicks off at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. That's fine. I think that's yeah. similar to our Southern Illinois game. Yeah, the first home game is always a 6 p.m. kick, as I recall, because that's the one game that K-State gets control of, I believe, uh, for the lower level uh, out of conference game, normally an FCS opponent, K State HD and K State Athletic Department, they get control on kick time, and they like to have an early season night ish game, 6 p.m. in early September. You know, it was going to be light for probably the first half, and then get to nighttime in the second half. I, I'm a big fan of night games. I get that there's all sorts of arguments to be had about scheduling and whatnot, but. You can't really beat the thrill of winning a big night game. Granted, this is not a big night game. No, this it? is this is an early season game against South Dakota on ESPN Plus, but this is pretty standard par for the course for K State scheduling. You know, I yeah. managed to say a lot about absolutely nothing there, but it, it's <laughs> that, that's all to say that this is a run of the mill start time for K State. Yeah, I, I like night games; they're fine. Uh, I just hope that this one doesn't result in tragedy like last year's FCS game. Yeah, which I it's impossible to predict, but you know, not again, dude, not again. If nothing else, we will learn if uh, southerly FCS schools have an effect on our QB's health Uh, because Southern Illinois, that's where we get South Dakota. So we will learn if South directional schools uh, when's the kite. One's the coyotes and one's the salukis. So they're both types of, of animal dogs. All right. We might be in trouble, guys. Uh-oh. <laughs> guys, I'm scared. <laughs> this is all a grand scheme to get the best, the best backup QB in college football, more snaps. And, you know, I'm here for it. <laughs> if it happens again, not again, dude. Not like that. At not least. like this. Not like this. Anyway, now that we've finished, man. Please don't come back. I hope no one ever has a reason to come back for that episode to clip that in particular. <laughs> I've knocked on wood, so hopefully not. But we'll see. The, the next game is a game that is going to be very near and dear to my heart and my family's heart. It is K-State MU at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I'll probably have family coming up for this game and more than just my parents. Um, it is... An 11 a.m. kickoff airing on ESPN2. And unless you're Nathan and Sarah, follow him on Twitter, a good friend of the show, you hate 11 a.m. kickoffs. <laughs> yeah, I don't like 11. I'm also really annoyed that I went and I went back and verified this is the fourth straight Power 5 non-conference game that we've had that kicks at 11, <laughs> which that's two Mississippi State games. Uh, 2020, we didn't have one because of COVID. It would have been the return game for Vanderbilt, which I'm sad that we lost that game because I really wanted revenge on them for probably the worst game that was played in Snyder 2.0, which is saying a lot. And granted that some of those Vanderbilt teams, like the late 20 teams, were as good as Vanderbilt's been in their entire history. It's not saying much. It's not. They did make bowl games. (laughs) So... I will tip the hat to them while also realizing that it still wasn't much. And then you have Stanford last year. And then you have Mizzou this year, all 11 a.m. kicks against, you know, quality opponents. Granted, Stanford was 
quality opponent, but Mississippi State hey, that they was beat a, Oregon. That is true. They <laughs> only beat two other teams the rest of the year, though. And those Mississippi State teams were solid as well. Um, especially that 2018 team uh with uh oh the giant QB. He was literally just Colin Klein, but not yeah, as good. I don't remember his name. Nick something, I think. Maybe I I don't know. He was huge. We couldn't bring him down. They were that was the first game where I realized that most teams were more athletic than us. <laughs> like I'd kind of seen it before where I was like, wow, this team's like really good. But normally we were able to out scheme teams, but our team was so lacking in athleticism that like they they made us look absolutely silly. Yeah. Like the, the only touchdown we scored was a white Huber interception. <laughs> That was a sad That's game. tough. That is oh, tough. Oh, yeah, it was. But we got him back next year. And the helicopter hit. Yeah. Oh, that will live in infamy. Sports Center still posts that occasionally. Good. And, <laughs> which is great publicity. But yeah, Mizzou, I was hoping for at least like a mid afternoon game. Granted, in the, in the, uh, the September window. Yeah, the summer. <laughs> That's not great. It'll be warm. But I was hoping for at least something that wasn't 11 a.m. And I get it. I do, you know, like I get the argument for 11 a.m. games being better because then you have the rest of your day ahead of you. Alternatively, they suck and I don't like them. And we should, I, I don't know. There's not much that case they can really do about this. I will say silver lining. It is an ESPN two game, which I was worried we were going to get kicked to FS one again for our power five non-con. So at least we're on, a bigger network so there's that for which a separate ne- line which network has gus johnson again oh that's fox he does the big noon game so i want to hear gus johnson call another k-state game oh yeah i him calling our comeback against ou in 2020 was just you can't ask for much better gus johnson has called some iconic k-state games because he's called that and then he called and the, the OU double 12 over- yeah he called ou 12 and then he also called for basketball the uh, double overtime game against oh. Xavier in the Sweet 16, which that's one of his all-time iconic calls. And like not even beyond even being a K-State fan. And so I'd love to get Gus back on a K-State game. He's but, by far the best college football announcer. I will not be taking questions. Yeah, And honestly, Joel Klatt is pretty good too mm-hmm. as a color commentator. As color commentators go, he's really good which a lot of them can get kind of annoying, but like he, he's really good at treading the line between uh, knowing what he's talking about and knowing, like telling us that he knows what he's talking about, you know? Yeah. So I, I like Joel Clad a lot, but yeah, 11, not great. Really. Not great. It isn't ESPN two is fine though. So yeah, I am curious who is the ESPN game though. The ESPN game. Oh, that is a good question. Um, because that game is September 10th. 10th. Yeah, some yeah, it's September 10th. So it's a uh, yeah, pretty I, I'm trying to think about other games that are that week. It'd be week two. Hang on, I can look it up. Stall. Um, it might be Texas Bama. That's an early guess, but I think they're on ABC. So I doubt that that's actually going to be the game that's taking up the ESPN window there. I'm going to be really sad if this is like, I don't know, like Michigan versus like, like Eastern Wyoming or something, (laughs) which is definitely not a school. And, but I don't know. 
Another game it could be, I guess, is Nebraska OU, but I'd imagine that's going to be big noon. That's probably going to be big noon. So it'll be the t- it'll be the same time slot, but it's going to be a uh, uh, different network. So ESPN. Gosh, I don't know. ESPN at eleven. Honestly, may not even be a national broadcast. Um, it's South Carolina Arkansas. That's actually a pretty good matchup. Huh. That, that, that's a decent game. I'm not upset about that. Also, why are they playing a conference game that early? I don't know. You see, the reason I reacted like that originally was because I just internalized it as a non-conference game, but I then realized that it was a conference game and it makes a little less sense because Arkansas will be good yeah. this year. South Carolina will probably not be good. I don't know. They have Rattler. They have a uh, Rattler and Stogner. That is true. I forgot they got Rattler, and they got a uh, what's his face from Virginia Tech, Shane Beamer. I think it's Beamer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they actually might be a little bit better this year, but I don't know. It's ESPN. I see ESECPN. So I'm not going to be too upset about that. Granted, there is an SEC school in our game. So true. That's probably anyway. why we're on ESPN two, actually. So. Probably. Anyway, got way in the weeds again. Yeah. But um, the final non-con game is Tulane. It's a two p.m. kickoff on ESPN Plus, and I'm having nightmares going back to the Nevada game, which kicked off at one o five. Yeah. And how we were all just dying. <laughs> yeah, that one o five kick, granted, was a throwback. I can't even imagine how giddy Bill Snyder was to hear that there was a kickoff at his preferred kickoff time. Because I'm pretty sure if he could have had his way, every college football game on earth would kick off the exact same time. And which granted, that's the way the Premier League does it on a championship Sunday. So there's like no competitiveness issues, but um, it's not really an issue in like week one of college football or week three or whatever. <laughs> so Tulane at two on ESPN plus, um, it's about what I expected. I was hoping there was an outside shot. This game might end up on like FS1 or something like that. I was hoping but, maybe you, ESPNU. Yeah, ESPNU. I actually looked and I think that the ESPNU game that week from the Big 12 is KU at Houston, which is... I actually like that. Wait. Is that, I was going to say that's an objectively better game. And I honestly would put that on a bigger network just because like that's a fun matchup between future conference opponents yeah i mean ku is going to get smoked but <laughs> yeah houston's a really good team ku like i unironically mean this you should not feel bad if you get smoked by houston because they're going to be good mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, feel bad if you get smoked by duke but <laughs> yeah because that's a home game as well and but yeah houston yeah they were ahead of the curve they've been scheduling all these big 12 schools for a while they had tech last year who they decimated as i recall I remember listening to that game on the they way come home back. from uh, Stanford. Yeah, they went down 21-0, and they scored like 42 unanswered or something. Wait, I'm trying to – I think it might be reversed, actually. You know what? You might be right. I think you're right. I think it was 21 unanswered for Houston and then 42 yep. unanswered for Tech. Yep, it was uh, 21-38 in favor of Texas Tech because I remember Tech escaped non-con unscathed and then got waxed by Texas. Right. Right, right, right. I remember now. Yeah, I had that mixed up in my head. So, sorry. I mean, they're both red schools from Texas. That is true. That is true. But yeah, Tulane at 2 p.m. It's going to be very, very hot. It's on ESPN+. Plus. This should be a good win for K-State 
Tulane was not very good last season. Even though there are a G5, they're not good. They will have at least one former cat on their team, Lance Robinson, former K-State Wildcat. He was a uh, a true freshman my freshman year, and he was one of those guys that he was in the first class of freshmen to take advantage of the redshirt role where you could play four games. And he looked really promising, and he was, and, and ended up transferring out. And I think might be a starter at Tulane. So he Probably. got what he wanted. Yeah. So I'm not going to be upset about that. But ideally, this should be three dubs for K-State so they can go into, again, the Oklahoma meat grinder uh, undefeated and then drop two games, have the fans run around with their heads cut off and eventually finish like eight and five or nine and three. So every season goes like the exact same at this yeah. point. I don't yeah. know. This will be the most vulnerable Oklahoma team in years. So, this, if you're going, this is a great year to be playing Oklahoma on the road. Mm-hmm. And then at Oklahoma State, they will probably be a step down as well because they lost their DC and most of their defense. Yeah. So they and Spencer they, Sanders is still not it. Yes, he was all Big Twelve, but that's because there was no competition last year. Yeah. So it's um, I don't know. Hopefully, KCA can build some momentum in this non-con schedule. Uh, roughly, what would I expected? Still slightly disappointed with the times. Not surprised by the networks. Again, you got to win to get those night slots, I guess. Yeah. And I love a good primetime game. I have some great memories of when I was young of some primetime games. Most of them Texas, now that I think about it. And because there was 06 Texas, which we upset them when they were number four and had Colt McCoy. That was Josh Freeman's coming out party oh, as, right. being, as being a quarterback with a brain. Yes. Because <laughs> up until that point, he was without a brain. Uh, 2010 Texas, that was the declining of Texas when we attempted four passes and won by like 30. Mm-hmm. And then 2012 Texas was when we won the Big 12. Yeah. So that was completely unnecessary and irrelevant. But <laughs> You just like reliving those memories. Oh, yeah, I'm just reliving that and thinking about how much I like night games and being disappointed <laughs> that we're not getting many, at least early. But I'm hopeful, cautiously optimistic that Oklahoma State will be a night game, especially for BWU, and they have a pulse. That'll probably be a night game. Yeah. All right. So that is all the football news that we have so far. Now we can move into the Batcats. And glossing over their final regular season series with West Virginia. And I do mean glossing over it because I'm just telling you the store, the scores. We got swept four to 15, four to 15, and then one to five. Um, that's all I'm going to say. You have anything else to say? Um, no, I don't think so. Other than Dylan Phillips got the start and the final game. And had the best outing of any starting pitcher for K-State. He is Shohei Otani. Yes. That is all. <laughs> that, that is all I have to say. Yep. Um, nothing else to say about that series. Um, yeah. Tough. I'm sorry if it, if it disappoints anyone that we're not going to discuss this series in detail. It's just what can you say when you get swept in two of the games for the exact same score of 4 to 15? There's very little to nothing to be said as we are proving right now. Yeah. Um, tough scenes. I am sad. So I agree. 
But then that was the final regular season series. But that does not mean that we were done playing because we were not the one school who got left out of the Big 12 tournament. LOL at KU. (laughs) Yep. And we had the first game of the I don't think it was the first game of the tournament, but our first game of the tournament was up against Texas Tech who we unfortunately ended up falling to by a score of five to three. Our stat line was three runs, three hits, and three errors. The scoring went, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about the errors in a second. The scoring went from, started off in the second, which was by far our worst inning, in which a there was an error, which caused a runner to score for Texas Tech, and then another unearned run off of a single from Texas Tech, And then finally, another error, which, you know, caused another unearned run to score. And then in the sixth inning, Texas Tech scored another two runs off of a triple. And then the catch tried to rally in the seventh inning after Cole Johnson had a single, which knocked in Dylan Phillips. And then Kalen Culpepper had a double, which knocked in Nick Goodwin and Cole Johnson. That would wrap up the scoring for today's performance. And uh, we'll... We'll we'll talk. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about the errors in a second. Do you want to cover the hitters? I'll cover the pitchers this week. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Um, Texas Tech. Um, Dom Johnson, rough game, honestly. Uh, Ofer, two strikeouts. Um, not his best showing. Um, uh, he really cooled off over the course of the season. Um, even though he still was putting the ball in the bat a decent amount, he just had some patient ABs a lot of the time. And it was a little frustrating because you know that he like is maybe the best hitter on the team, period. Yeah. And even especially more than even like Dylan Phillips down the stretch. Dylan was another guy who I think got really impatient down the stretch. Uh Rugely goes over as well, does draw a walk, um, which we'll come back to Rugely drawing walks. And- <laughs> Dylan Phillips, uh, three strikeouts. Um, uh, Ofer does score a run, though. I'm not sure how, because uh, he does not draw. He does not draw a walk. Doesn't get, doesn't get a hit. Doesn't get a hit by pitch either. Uh, also, Cash usually did get hit by a pitch once as well. So there's that. Nick Goodwin, um, one for four, two strikeouts. Cole Johnson, one for four with an RBI, one strikeout. Nikolov Ofer with three strikeouts, rough showing for him. Kalen, uh, he did have an impactful hit. He had a double. Nick Goodwin had doubles well, not to neglect him. Uh, Kalen Culpepper, one for three, two RBI, two strikeouts, a double. Justin Mitchell Ofer, uh, Cam Musselton draws a walk and goes over one. And then Brady Day has one strikeout. Um, now, we, do you want to do pitching or do you want to talk about the errors? Talk about the errors and that'll lead into pitching. Okay. Yeah. So we had three, should have been four errors uh, mm-hmm. in this game. Uh, Dylan Phillips, Justin Mitchell, Connor McCullough all registered with an error in this game. Nick Goodwin was not somehow. I honestly think he should be credited with two. For uh, the first I mean, one it, is the throw that kicked up that kicked Dylan Phillips off the bag. And then yeah. the second one was him failing to get the ball, which the Texas Tech player kicked into left field. That got credited to Justin Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, because I I was listening to this game, so 
Uh, Brian Smoller was trying his absolute best to describe the hilarity of it, but I do not blame him for being unable to articulate the deficiencies of our defense in this moment. But yeah, Dylan Phillips gets, I believe, a throwing error. Mitchell the same. Uh, McCullough uh, gets credit with an error as well. Pickoff attempt. Uh, yeah, Aaron's pickoff attempt. attempt. And which that led to the Phillips error, I believe, as well. And then Goodwin does not get credited with an error here either. Um, he uh, um, had an errant throw, which would have ended a big inning for Texas Tech. At this point, they had not scored, and this ends up leading to three runs for Texas Tech, which was the difference in this game. And in the Big 12 tournament, winning early and winning often is king. And if you don't do that, then you get stuck in the loser's bracket like we have. And that that makes winning a title as an underdog from difficult to borderline impossible. Not completely, but very hard. Uh, but yeah, three errors ten, should have been four from the Cats. Um, completely derails a otherwise solid performance from the defense and pitching staff. Um, but one disastrous inning uh, completely ruins any shot for the cats in this game so you want to get into pitching now my friend or have anything else you want to add to the errors if i um, again I, I was only able to listen not watch so you know if you have like additional like commentary to add that i was unable to please th- this is one of those situations i can only think of like three where connor and i were not watching a k-state sporting event together and I just texted him <laughs> ranting and while I'm like 50, 50 on like, if that ever gets leaked of like, I don't want it leaked. And I do want it leaked because I think it's objectively hilarious because <laughs> Connor, I, I think uh, I'm not going to say who it was, but I saw, let's just say I saw a player too. And I say, if he's in the starting lineup again, I'm going to have a brain aneurysm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He was in the starting lineup again. but <laughs> He was, as it turns out. As it turns out. But he actually didn't have that bad a game. But I mean, He anyway. really didn't, no. He, he was one of the better players. <laughs> and he actually was a key player in the second game, yeah. I would say. One of the yeah. biggest factors in the game. Yep, he was. But anyway... Connor McCullough had a pretty good performance, just wiped away. He ended up going six innings, giving up eight hits, five runs, three earned. I honestly think that probably all of the runs in the second shouldn't have been earned. So two earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts, one balk, which even the announcers were like, what is a balk anymore? What is Walmart? (laughs) What what is it? What is it? (laughs) But yeah, so he ends up getting... Peg with the loss here. It's just another performance where Connor McCullough's back died for his defense to just die with him. It's yeah. just, it's unfortunate. But Blake Corsentino did come in and gave us two innings of no hit ball with five strikeouts and one ground out. So yeah. Corsentino did great. At the staff, the pitching staff, that is, they did absolutely everything they could for the most part in this game. I'm not going to really be that upset with them. No. Um, it's, a, it's yet another situation where half of the team or like half of our defensive unit plays quite well and the other part doesn't. Or I should say one part one part plays well, one part doesn't. Where sometimes the field 
is really good and the pitching staff just blows up. And but although a lot of times it's the opposite where, you know, McCullough, six innings pitched, three earned, uh, eight hits, um, two walks, four strikeouts. You know, he had a Connor McCullough game. Uh, he was solid, very, very composed. Uh, and then Corsentino, uh, absolute nails. Uh, he came in, he was very impressive. Uh, and the limited action that we saw five strikeouts, very aggressive, but smart pitching. You know, he, every pitch he made, it was the exact right pitch for the situation. And I was really pleased with how Corsentino looked, but again, there's just more defensive blunders from the, uh, uh, from the field, um, especially the infield. And sometimes in a range of pours, you know, I'm not going to harp on it for too long, yeah. but it was, it was rough to, to listen to really frustrating, especially when you were, all of this happens with two outs mm-hmm. in the second inning. And, you know, it's, it's game-changing. It's literally game-changing. Three runs exist as a result of that. Those three runs don't exist. And assuming everything else stays the exact same, the Cats one by one. And they're in the winner's bracket playing Oklahoma. Yeah. But that's unfortunately it's not what happened. So we ended up playing in the loser's bracket against West Virginia. Now, if you paid attention about 15 minutes ago, you know that we got absolutely waxed by West Virginia in the regular season series. But that didn't happen this time. Your Kansas State Wildcat and Cats ended up winning this game eight to five, knocking West Virginia out of the tournament and keeping their own lives alive. Ended up winning by a score of eight to five. K-State had 12 hits and notably West Virginia had three errors. In terms of how the scoring went, it started off in the first inning. K-State jumped on them early. Nick Goodwin ended up scoring Dom Johnson with a double, and then Dylan Phillips ended up scoring Nick Goodwin with a single. Then in the second, Cash Rugely ended up walking, which advanced Kalen Culpepper to the plate. Not to go unanswered, West Virginia decided to tie things up in the third with a single, a single, and guess what? A single. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of small ball from West Virginia, and they tied it up. This had me really, really nervous because I was worried that we exhausted our bats and our luck at the beginning of this game. Yeah. But they, I was, wor- I always worry when we peak early in games because we always have our one big bat cat inning. Yeah. And I was like, uh oh, I, I hate having him early because then you have to hold off the other team the rest of the game. So, but we ended up rallying again. And in the fifth inning, we ended up scoring off a Justin Mitchell single, which advanced Dylan Phillips to the, to the plate. And then in the sixth, Dom Johnson hit the lone home run of the day, which was a solo shot. And then Dylan Phillips ended up singling, which scored Cash Rugely. And then in the seventh inning, Cash Rugely again walked home a run, which scored Justin Mitchell. Whereas in the seventh inning, West Virginia scored off of a double. And then in the ninth inning, there was a suicide squeeze play in which Rafael Pelletier ended up scoring Josh Nikoloff. And then West Virginia would put on a garbage time run in the ninth inning. And that led to West Virginia being eliminated and the cats getting at least one more dance down in Arlington. Yeah. Um, this I got to watch this game. Um, Blake Adams had a very impressive start. I won't get too far into his stats, but he, he looked composed. He went a lot deeper than I thought he was going to. I think we left him in a little too long. But ultimately, it really didn't hurt us that badly. He went six and two thirds. I was thinking he'd go six, especially with his pitch count as high as it was. Yeah. He ended up at like 120. But 
uh, the bats. The bats were really good. Uh, 12 hits and everybody was making really good contact and they were making good contact early, which was a key. Dom Johnson, uh, he was probably player of the game. Uh, two hits, an RBI, had a home run, uh, two walks as well. He was intentionally walked uh, twice, I believe, was what happened. And uh, he he was phenomenal. Perfect leadoff game. Had one strikeout, but it was in like the top of the ninth inning. So, yeah. Uh, oh, well. Irrelevant strikeout. Yeah. If Dom Johnson's not your player of the game, then it's probably Cash Rugely. Um, he is he drew two bases loaded walks, and I think both were full counts. Yes, and, they were. Both were full counts. Yeah, the second one was so so clutch. I was really pleased to Cash Rugely. We haven't seen a ton of him this year. I'd imagine he probably got hurt at some point because we did not see him for a while. But he yeah. looked very composed at the plate. He didn't. He only had one hit. They did have two RBIs from those walks, only one strikeout. Um, and when the ball's coming off his bat, it was popping. It was really popping. Although I will say his one hit, I think, was like a bloop single. Yeah. Which was kind of funny, you know, for all the power he had. He was just a little <laughs> bit ahead of the pitches. Uh, Brendan Jones was a defensive sub. Uh, Nick Goodwin, he did not have the best day, but he did make his damage early. He had an RBI double, I believe, in the first inning and went one for five the rest of the day, one strikeout. Dylan Phillips actually had a really nice day. Uh, three for five with a run, two RBI, and one strikeout. Cole Johnson had a difficult day, though, at the play 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. Kalen Culpepper, who I went and checked this because I think the announcer said something about it, and I confirmed it, that he is, of the regular starters, hitting better than anyone on the team in Big 12 play. He's hitting, three, yeah, he's hitting 324 as it stands right now against Big 12 players, which is better than he was doing against non-conference teams by a lot because his season average is about 280 right now. But against Big 12 competition, that goes up by quite a bit. So Kalen, he's been really, really great um, this year. And it's been a pleasure to watch him develop into the player he is. He's such a stalwart defensively. He had like a two-error game against Texas Tech on the road. And that was like, it. That was, that was like his only bad moment as a defensive player he's going to be a kingpin in this infield and uh, a staple of the batting order going forward um josh nikoloff he had a very rough couple of days but he kind of put it together near the end of this game where he ends up going one for three with a run a walk and a strikeout justin mitchell he went two for three uh, with a run a walk and a strikeout Actually, no strikeout. Scratch that. And then Orlando Salinas came in as a, a defensive sub and Rafael Pelletier, one for three with a huge uh, sacrifice bunt. I will say, like, we bunt a lot as a team. This is probably the first time that we used it truly effectively in a perfect situation. Yeah. We got a runner on base. And then Justin Mitchell, who I, I will say, never he seen laid down. Bunt. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen him bunt before. And it, he laid down a perfect bunt. He is so slow. I'm sorry, Justin, if you're listening. But so so you, you do not have wheels. And he laid down an absolutely perfect bunt and nearly reached. Any other human being on our baseball team reaches on that bunt. I thought you were about to say any other human being on Earth. <laughs> that is not true. He's probably faster than me. So, you know, I'm talking a lot of smack on him. But um, he laid down a great bunt. And then Pelletier, he comes in and then he lays down another great bunt and advances uh uh, uh nikolov 
and and later lays down a perfect suicide squeeze yeah 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 uh, which i'm realizing I, I mixed things up in my head because he uh he was the one that laid down the squeeze that was the same bunt i was talking about mm-hmm. but yeah um it was a perfect example of uh situational bunting because not only did we get our one run around and understood our mission for that inning, get a guy on base, advance the runner, get him home, sacrifice those outs for that run. Because that took us from a 7-4 lead to an 8-4 lead, and it made it to where, okay, West Virginia, your three-run homer is not going to do it. You have to hit a grand slam against us, and you're not doing that at Globe Life Field. <laughs> and so it it was great situational management from p hughes it feels great to say that (laughs) my god it's a it's a relief to say that i would honestly say it's some of the best managing i think that we've seen from pete uh all year the only knock you can really give on him managing this game is that he probably left in blake adams a little bit too long but yeah that's that's it yeah speaking of i have pitching stats blake adams gets credited with the victory he goes six and two-thirds giving up six hits, four earned runs, three walks, nine strikeouts, two wild pitches, one hit by pitch off 118 pitches. And really he was dealing for like 98% of the game that he was in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was so good. He was so good. And was, everything was working for him. Yeah. I mean, he, he was getting strikeouts late even it like, he, and he like for the first two thirds of uh, the sixth inning, uh, he didn't actually look, tired or i guess no. it was the seventh the seventh inning i suppose yeah. at that point yeah but, going into the seventh he looked fine and then the, the last third hit and he it hit him all at once yeah but yeah, he got him out quick so we got tyrule and who was able to clean up everything so speaking of tyrule goes one in one third giving up one earned run two walks one strikeout and then guess who's back dylan phillips comes in to collect his customary save where he give where he pitches one inning, one strikeout, and one fly out and one ground out each. Twelve pitches to put away the game and let the cats advance. Seven saves on the year for Mr. Dylan Phillips. Of course. The king of utility. He he's the ultimate Pete Hughes player, I would say. Yeah. What else can you really say? However, who's going to replace him as the guy to come in from playing in the field? And just step on the mound out of nowhere. I don't we know. We to... have we have eighty seven outfielders slash pitchers. We have someone somewhere. Yeah, surely somebody can pitch on this team that plays a position. Uh, Will Brennan used to be that guy who's killing it in Double A right now. And Caleb uh, Little Jim. Caleb Little Jim. He did a little bit of that as well. No pun intended. And then Dylan Phillips. He, I'd imagine he's getting drafted this year. Oh yeah. So he'll he'll probably be gone. Uh, so somebody's going to have to step up and take over. Maybe Kalen can pitch. It wouldn't surprise me. But it wouldn't surprise me at all, honestly. Maybe it'll be somebody like really random, like mm-hmm. Orlando Salinas. Or like, it'd be really funny if it was like Pelletier, like he's like catching. And <laughs> then we just like have him take off his catcher's gear to close. Like for one, I don't think that'd be possible because I think his legs would be too tired from like being a catcher. But it'd also be very funny to just like watch like P like tap his wrist and just look at Rafael Pelletier. And you just be like, all right, coach. All right, well, let me let me take off my, my, my catcher's gear. I just step up on the mound. Like he just takes off his catcher's gear and starts dead sprinting to the bullpen. <laughs> what would be even funnier, I'm now thinking of, is if he didn't take off his catcher's gear, just pitched in that. 
Yeah, I've, I've just realized that, you know, I, I was making this whole scenario about like, oh, it'd be funny if you took it off, but it'd be even funnier if you didn't. So, All right. So K-State gets at least one more game in the Big 12 tournament, and they're playing the loser between Texas Tech and Oklahoma, which has yet to go final, I believe. That is correct. I will check the score. Yeah. So. Which- yeah, it will be irrelevant by tomorrow. Like something could happen to change it, but we'll see. As of two minutes ago, it's a 5-1 lead for Oklahoma. Okay. So we've lost to both of these schools. Yeah. Quite handily. <laughs> OU more than Tech, surprisingly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. Obviously, we're in a situation where our back's against the wall. So we're quite literally fighting for our tournament lives here. Not the NCAA tournament. That ship has sailed. The Big 12 tournament. Yeah, the Big 12 tournament, which if you win that, then your NCAA tournament dreams are back. Yeah. So. Which, hey. That, that, is, the on, that is the only path forward. Because I mean, the Cats are a 500 team. Like, so the only way to get in at this point is going to be uh, wading their way through the loser's bracket. They're going to have to beat someone Someone at some point, they're going to have to beat them twice in a row. And then they're going to have to do the same thing, I think, in the uh, championship. Yeah. At this point, they're going to have to win like six games in a row. Yep. Which. Got to get hot at the right time. Best of luck. Yeah. So So that pretty much wraps up all the K-State news. And now welcome this week to this week's wacky segment of the week, where our task and question for this week is we are going to be picking one school from each Power 5 conference to knock down to a Group of 5 conference and one Group of 5 school from each Group of 5 conference to bring up. So we'll go through alphabetically, starting with Power 5 conferences, and we'll start off with the ACC or the Atlantic Coastal Conference, or is it the Athletic Coastal Conference? Atlantic. Atlantic Coastal Conference, the ACC. So. For me, the obvious pick here for who to demote to a G5 level, and keep in mind this is only for football. Nothing else matters. They can stay here if they want for any other sport. This is only for football. For me, the obvious choice, and although there are two contenders that I see here, the obvious choice for me was the Duke Blue Devils getting demoted to the G5. Yeah. Um, there it's hard to argue against that take. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with it. I'm I'm gonna try and make different picks than you. There's gonna be some that are just too obvious, especially for the demotions. Yeah. So um, although the American conference will get very interesting. So oh yeah. Oh, because, and we can't bring up any of the new big 12 schools. Yep. So that that will make it a little bit more interesting. Um, yeah, Duke, I think they've got to go from the ACC. Obviously, they're a basketball powerhouse. They have been for a while. But, you know, I mean, last year they were 0-8 in conference play, 3-9 and overall with a win over KU and I think some FCS schools, which it's, that's not going to hack it. Um, there's other candidates. Uh, Georgia Tech, granted, they're honestly on a bit of an upswing because they were really bad for a few years there. Yeah, But they're, they're trending not downwards at minimum i guess uh boston college they've been pretty stagnant for a while florida state's been on a downward spiral for a bit syracuse yeah. has not been good for a bit either but duke i think is the obvious pick ahead of any of those schools 
Yeah, Georgia Tech was the other one that I was considering, but I think Duke is the obvious answer. Yeah. Then for the Big Ten, this is another one that I don't feel like we'll get a lot of pushback for. I don't think we'll get a lot of pushback until we get like the Pac-12 and then the group of five. But the one that I'm demoting from the Big Ten, it, it has to be Rutgers. Because Rutgers, first off, just doesn't fit into the Big Ten. I've never believed that they fit there. And they've been so bad for so long. Yeah, they have improved marginally. Uh, They got to play that faux bowl game because someone wasn't able to. And uh, they made it because like APR or something like that. Yeah. And they lost. I forget who they played. I think it was a G5. I think it was Memphis. Oh, yeah. Because I think it was Hawaii that ducked out. Yeah. But they, uh, yeah, because there was a big string of schools that were uh, saying COVID reasons for not playing their bowl game. And then there's like, but there's really just like opt outs and stuff like that. And they just didn't do it. Cowards. Mm -hmm. UCLA, chief cowards. Mm -hmm. Um, No, yeah. Rutgers is a good pick. Indiana's a sleeper pick, but they only had this one bad year last year. They were fairly good. Granted, COVID Mickey Mouse season. Yeah. and And Penix was injured this last year. Yeah. That is true. He, he was hurt all year. Um, but Rutgers, they went five and eight, probably a bit deceptive uh, with that record. That's three non-con wins, only two in conference. Uh, it's not a very good program. And then, like you said, they don't fit the Big Ten. Like, they, they never really have, in my opinion. Uh, they're only there to bring the New York market, and they don't really do that that much. Like, New York's, New York's not really a huge uh, uh, college sports town. You know, there's too many pro franchises there to also – uh, stabilize multiple uh, college teams. So, yeah. Maryland was in contention for me. Same, but bleh. I feel like the obvious answer is Rutgers. The Big Twelve. I'm not going to spend any time on this. It's KU. <laughs> yeah, for a football only list, I think KU is the only pick that you can make. Yeah. Moving we, on. There. Yeah, we we could harp on this for a while. There's there's no reason to. So. Yeah. For the Pac-12, this was actually the it, no, it, this it wasn't probably this was the most difficult conference to determine who we were going to send down. I think this is going to be the first time that you and I are going to disagree because I'm sending down Arizona because Arizona has been dog water for the past like three years. Yeah, yeah, they have. Um, Arizona was a tempting pick, but I was unable to roll with them. In this situation, I'm going to say Cal because really, yeah, I don't know what it is, but Cal at no point sands the Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch years has been a threatening school in my lifetime. And they had Davis Webb, I guess, for like a year and they were okay. But last year they were a team that went five and seven, honestly outperformed. Uh, for like Expectations. Over- yeah, yeah, they, they like, yeah, they overachieved. At five and seven, uh, Washington, they're probably going to bounce back. Stanford is like kind of a, a sleeper pick, but like they've been relevant, like very relevant, very recently. Yeah. So I, I can't, they're not quite to like relegation zone yet, but <laughs> Oregon State was another school I had on my mind, but they actually had a pretty good season last year and I have a bit of a soft spot for Oregon State. I don't yeah. know why. Every and conference Washington has, State. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Washington State, but. Oregon State was an, is another school that I, I have a bit of a soft spot, even though they knocked us out of the Super Regionals back in 2013, and we definitely should have beat them. But 
in baseball that is but yeah yeah uh cal is my pick all right for the sec this is another one where it's really obvious vanderbilt i'm sorry you got to go vanderbilt shame could happen to anybody goodbye yeah Yeah, really that sucks but now i have nothing nothing to add (laughs) yeah now for the new the schools that we're bringing up from group of five conferences and again new big 12 is excluded so we can't bring up cincinnati houston or ucf sorry i forgot about it for a second yep so let's start off with the american and honestly the american is the most tempting for me because they have two schools that i'm really looking at that could move up and that is memphis and smu and I'm not going to say where they would go because that's that would be another like 30 minutes onto this episode. And I'd rather not make another realignment episode and doom everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we should probably have like a gag order on ever talking about realignment. But... Yeah. God. But the pick that I'm going to go with might surprise some people, and that's going to be SMU. I think SMU coming off of the death penalty and just how fast they've kind of swung back up, I think that's admirable. And honestly, I think that they're worthy of moving up to a power five conference just based off of that. Yeah, I'm not going to pick SMU. I'm picking Memphis, which was the other option. Yeah, I I must give them credit for pumping money into the Liberty Bowl and fixing the worst stadium in major college football. Um, And they deserve to be rewarded. For, for making that move. Granted, it was an obvious one, but they're actually making substantial renovations to the stadium and going to make it actually playable. But <laughs> yeah, SMU is a tempting pick, but Memphis, I have to give the edge. Conference USA. This is one that I have, again, it's another one where I have two major competitors. It's a University of Texas San Antonio and Western Kentucky for me. And if I pick either of them, it is almost exclusively because of the success they had last year. Because honestly, you look at everyone else in CUSA, I think the best school that's been like consistently has been UAB. And they've just kind of been all right. Yeah. And they also nearly shuttered their football program. So stability is a concern. Yeah. I'm actually going to go with the University of Texas San Antonio. Just because that's where Dimmel's at, right? Or is that that's UTEP? UTEP. He's I, at UTEP. Yeah. Okay. That's not why I was picking them. But UTSA honestly has put a few players into the NFL, you know, Marcus Davenport being the prime example. And they've honestly been on a pretty solid upward trajectory these past few years. I mean, they had a nearly undefeated season. I think they had a near I think they only lost one game and ended up winning CUSA. They went uh twelve and two. Because they lost their bowl game. Yeah, they did. They went 7-1 in conference play. Okay. Yeah, they ended up having a great conference season. And I think they're worthy of being moved up. And both of my picks so far have been from Texas. Yeah. Um, I'm going to roll with UTSA as well. Um, have a bit of a soft spot for them uh, just because of uh, Mr. Hurricane's uh, dynasty he did with them right. back in the day. And guess what's back? The UTSA dynasty is back. And he's playing K-State because he put UTSA in the Big 12. What if he just skips that game? He would. Sorry, he would. guys. The footage got corrupted. Also, K-State's not in the Big 12 anymore. <laughs> yeah, I actually found a way to delete them from the game. Um, 
also real life. But replace them with Kalispell. Okay. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> yeah, UTSA is my pick. Um, although that is a bit of a trendy pick. UTEP, I was very, very tempted by. Um, just because it's been a very slow but uh, um, consistent build from Dana Dimmel there. Um, so I, I like what he's doing there. But for now, the pick is UTSA. But that could change. Now the Mac. <laughs> if I could honestly, I don't want to be mean, but if I could just like take the Mac and just give their slot to like Memphis or Western Kentucky, I would. <laughs> the Mac is one of the only constants in college football. Every school that's in the Mac is very uniquely built for the Mac, I feel like. And they're one of the only conferences that's really stuck together because I think they realized that going up or down, they'd suck anywhere else. Yep. And they, or the very least, would not fish and say it'd be bad. But yeah, they, they, it's a unique conference, a very unique identity, having their like midweek games on Maction. But Maction, Maction Wednesdays, boys. Maction is so fun while also being absolutely horrifying because you just watch the players that they have. And sometimes you see a receiver make a one handed, unbelievable catch. I'd see in the NFL and other times you'd see a QB that wouldn't be eighth string on a power five roster. And they will go like three for 20, but their three completions will be perfect 50 yard dots. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the max is a strange place. (laughs) It honestly probably is my favorite conference to watch or my favorite G5 conference to watch just because of the pure chaos uh, the bull well, Mac does stand for mid America chaotic. So, yeah, but honestly, I looked at every single team on this roster and I could make a pretty convincing argument for them moving up, except for like Akron. Akron is, well, they're still constant. They're just constantly terrible. And yeah, yeah but they're like the only team that I feel like hasn't at least rotated to being like pretty solid at one point. And yeah. Uh, the Mac in recent years, like they're perpetually the worst roster in NCAA 14 by a lot. And we'll see if that continues, I suppose, in the next one. But yeah, I suppose we will. But my pick is actually going to be the Central Michigan Chippewas. And the reason I say that is because they had two offensive linemen drafted. They had both of their tackles drafted this last year. Uh, Luke Gottecki and oh, who's the other one? I cannot remember. Uh, anyway, they had the other tackle as well. I think he was the better of the two tackles. So that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but they ended up beating MU and were pretty solid all throughout their game, all throughout their years, just with a pretty good running game. So honestly, I'm going to go with Central Michigan Chippewas. And the other contenders for me were Western Michigan because they gave us Sky Moore and then Buffalo because they've been pretty consistently the one of the better schools in the Mac, but that was under Leipold. You never know now. Yeah. Uh, I like Buffalo Um, central Michigan. I almost picked because as I recall, they had a pretty big upset of Oklahoma state a few years ago as well. Uh, On like the final play of the game, they had like a hail Mary get completed to somebody and they end up beating Oklahoma state at Oklahoma state and a really weird upset. But my pick is Northern Illinois. Really? Uh, they've been one of the only 
truly good teams that's remained good in the MAC. I'd say you could make an argument they're the only consistently A tier MAC team where all yeah. the other schools are constantly rotating. Central Michigan is probably the higher upside school, yeah. but Northern Illinois has been competitive for over a decade. They had a Heisman contender as well for a little while back in like 2013. And so I, I guess I'm rewarding them with being the one school in the Mac that consistently has a pulse by giving them this promotion. But there's nothing wrong with Central Michigan, and I would definitely not be upset if they got a Power 5 invite somehow. That's not happening. But if it were, they'd definitely be deserving. They're, but no one's leaving the MAC. They're, they're bonded they're by bound battle. together. Yeah. Yeah. So now the Mountain West, which, again, there I see three contenders here. Actually, four. I was going to say, yeah, I see more than that. I, I see one two, three, four, maybe five. Okay. Who are the four you're looking at? Uh, the four are San Diego state. Yes. Uh, Boise state. Yes. Colorado state. Fresno state. Okay. Uh, swap out Colorado state with San Jose state for me. That was my five. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is actually tough. You know what? I'm going to go with San Jose state. Because they had like the best defense in college football last year, and they've been building that for a very, very long time. Okay, best statistical, <laughs> uh, or one of the best statistical defenses. I'm not sure if they were like you line them up against Georgia. I'm not sure they're beating them. But <laughs> well, you you don't know that anything can happen. True, and they've been pretty consistently good these past couple of years. And I'm mostly just rewarding them for the defense. Boise State's the obvious pick. Yeah. Uh, Fresno State's the sleeper pick. Uh, San Jose pick is the the comatose pick. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm absolutely torn because boy, you say like you said they're the absolutely obvious pick because they have been an arguable they've arguably been a Power Five team and a non Power Five conference for quite some time. San Diego State has been up and down, but when they're up, they're up. And because I mean they finished ranked in the top twenty five, went twelve and two. Uh, this past season, really, really, really impressive team. I'm gonna just say Colorado State though, because I'm very selfish, and that if they went Power Five, they're going to probably join the Big Twelve. They're a great culture fit, and I selfishly think it would be really fun to go to Fort Collins because Fort Collins seems really pretty. Colorado's a, a really nice state, and that'd, that'd be a fun road trip every two years. So. That's my pick. If I were making an actual informed pick, I'd probably say Boise State, but that's not the point of this exercise. So yeah, I'm that is playing the, by my own rules. <laughs> yeah, this is the wacky segment of the week, not the sensible segment of the week. That is a <laughs> great team. I'm gonna get that framed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one is the Sun Belt. And if you know anything about me, it does not matter who else was in this conference. I looked at one school and I said, that is my pick to bring up. You can, you can say it. You can say it for me. It's coastal Carolina. It's coastal Carolina. <laughs> He's picking coastal and I'm going to not pick coastal for that reason. Just because I know that you really like coastal because yeah, there's like, because Appalachian state, Appalachian state, whatever, they also have been really, really good these past few years. Uh, they have had the best transition from FCS to FBS out of anybody. I would say 
because they did not skip a beat. Ever since they beat Michigan, that team has just like been on something. <laughs> like, and that was like 15 years ago too. And it was in 2007. It was because that was the craziest football season of all time. Uh, Shout out KTO. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's a great channel. But <laughs> I, yeah, Louisiana, they did have a great season last year. They went 13 and one. But like, I need to see it from them consistently before I, uh, I'm going to promote them. Appalachian State gets my vote. Although Coastal is a close second. I really like Coastal and I like what they're doing, but I want to see them do it without Grace McCall and for a long period of time, like Appalachian State has done. So I guess I'm giving benefit to seniority here with Appalachian State, but if uh, Coastal Carolina lost their offensive coordinators, my my vote would immediately change. Now, I do think they lost one of them to Nebraska, they? but they I thought one of them went to Nebraska, but I think they still have the other, which should they be keep fine. Willie Korn? No, I think Nebraska got Willie Korn. I thought they did. No, they got, uh, they got Mark Whipple. Oh, where's he from? He's from... Uh, hit. Ah, oh, you know, I think Nebraska thought they were going to get Willie Corn, which of course they did, and they were really optimistic, and then it didn't happen. I that was just a big rumor, and I just forgot to actually go back and confirm who they got. So and they got Mark checking. Whipple from Pitt. Cool. Which, like, yeah, sure. Put Casey Thompson in Pitt's offense; he's probably going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, he was probably going to be fine last year as well, and he yep. was okay. <laughs> He's fine. Yeah, like Casey Thompson's an RA right quarter. He's going to be an okay quarterback in most systems, honestly. So, yeah. that, but, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, that's all I had to say about that. But thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards. I am at Connor Bautzor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show in a financial sense, please be sure to visit the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you have such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Doomtang Clan, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>